welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture. I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode, we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss. And this weekend, 20 questions. Did you say this weekend? Did I say this weekend? I'm pretty sure I said this week. That's all right. This weekend. That's all right. We'll leave it in. It'll be fun. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll leave this in too. It'll be fun. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Welcome. Uh, it's it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Um, we wanted to kind of we're, we're we are going to go and we're going to talk about twenty questions uh, that people have about agriculture. But up front, we kind of wanted to give everyone an update about what's happening with the show. Yep. Um. So I know in our last publication, um, we said the show is not ending. Uh, but we have made the decision to put the show on the shelf for the foreseeable future. And that is a decision that we have come to together. Yep. Uh, especially after the pandemic, you know, we both found that we only had so much energy to put in places in our lives. And this was just something that took more energy than what we had, I think. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, Dad and I took a really long walk and just kind of talked the whole thing out. And a lot of the things that I was feeling that I voiced in that conversation um, was that particularly, like Dad said, um, in the in the wake of the pandemic and the winter storm that we also had here in Texas that was quite intense, um, I just found myself really needing more space to connect with my community and my friends and my family. Um, and I didn't like feel a, a draw to sit down on my computer and do more work after I was done with the workday and, you know, record another episode. I do want to say like, this is something that I find great joy in still. And it's still something I really enjoy making with dad. It, it's a really wonderful way for us to connect. Um, but it's just not this, the like season in my life. Um, and I think in dad's life too, for us to be creating this show together. Um, it was a absolutely incredible several years that we like made it together as a team with Catherine and then with just the two of us. Um, but for right now, like dad said, it's just not where we see our energies needing to go in our lives. Yeah. It, like Kelly said, it's been a huge joy. This has been a great addition to my life and the amount of support that we've gotten uh, was yeah. astounding and we're so grateful for it. And, you know, will always have this experience with us. But like I said, for, you know, for right now, at least it's definitely time to just sort of let it go and focus on other things. Yeah. The community around this podcast really was always, always, always just staggering to us. Um, really like amazing to see the way that people uh, in- engaged with the work that we put out. Uh, and it was really wonderful. And you guys made this process the joy that it really was. So thanks, everyone, who ever talked about the show or supported the show in any way. It really like made all of the difference. It really did. But we didn't want to just write a blog post or fade away. We wanted to do one less episode of common questions frequently asked about agriculture. And I thought it would be good, you know, if we each went and got some. And of course, I didn't get any, but Hallie put together 20 <laughs> great ones. 
And yeah, so, so this was this is dad's like fully great idea of I just went into Google and I wrote like, is agriculture blank? And I pulled like the top couple from a bunch of different questions. So I thought that it would be really fun to talk through the questions that people want to know about agriculture and farming. What a great way to get some questions. That's awesome. All right. So um, I'm going to I'm going to give my answer to some of these and mine will be short and sweet. So the first answer is, is agriculture farming? And I'm going to guess, no, agriculture includes farming, (laughs) but it seems like there's just, after all this time talking about it, it just seems like there's so much more to it than just the actual farming aspect. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty accurate. So agriculture obviously definitely includes farming. Farming does not necessarily include like ranching, though. Like ranching is kind of separate from farming, and ranching is absolutely a part of agriculture. You also have like all of the people that ladder into agriculture. So like people who sell crop insurance, people who make pesticides, like those are all within the agricultural sector, like people who sell cows, you know, people who like process meat, um, all within the agriculture sector and not necessarily farming. All right. And then there's like agriculture equipment, which I guess is adjacent. Yeah, but definitely like within within the field. Right. As the next question asks, the industry. So question two is, is agriculture an industry? Yes, it is. It is an industry. That's interesting. So I would have I would have said something like it's made up of several industries. But I guess when you're talking about industry, it's like one big thing. I don't really know. Is there a difference between like an industry and like an economic sector? I wasn't a business major. I have no idea. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's big business. Uh, there's definitely industrial components to it. Uh, not going to argue with you on that one. Number three, is agriculture a branch of science? I would definitely say no, but there's certainly science that is incorporated. And it seems like all of the best agriculturalists, you know, incorporate scientific research. And maybe there's Mm -hmm. agricultural scientists, but I don't know. Do you go to a college of science and study agriculture? I'm not quite sure how to answer that one. That's a, yeah, all extremely good points and questions. So my degree which was in agribusiness, but it was within the College of Agriculture, um, was in applied science. So it was a Bachelor's of Applied Science. So technically, agriculture is, just like you said, it is the application of science within the real world, within a, you know, economic sector, within a business. So you're taking these scientific ideas and you are putting them into practice. Um, The studying of agriculture is called agronomy and that is the science of soil management and crop production we also have livestock science or animal science which is the studying of biology of animals that are under the control of humans or or that are uh, domesticated and to be sure there's people that go about planting and growing crops without you know really studying or reading up on the science of it um, but it's just you know the advancement and the improvement of the crops, the way the growing methods, things like that, that comes from studying the stuff in a scientific manner. Yep, exactly. Uh, number four is kind of hilarious. <laughs> it was was this a Google one too? Is agriculture yeah. good or bad? Who boy, we got over fifty episodes that I think will uh, <laughs> go into various topics and give you some answers on that one. I mean, yeah, we got food, right? Yeah, I would say probably a net good. A net yep. good from, from agriculture. Absolutely. Ultimately. 
Um, but question five was, why is agriculture bad? You want to take a stab at that one, Dad? Well, the first one that always comes to mind is, of course, farm workers' rights. Yes. Um, that's Definitely. still an episode that, you know, sits with me. And I think about, there's, of course, ecology. Uh, we've talked about monocultures before mm-hmm. um, being, you know, not great for the ecosystem. Um, bad for bees. Bees don't love a food <laughs> desert. Yes. And what else? That's... Those are the big ones that I can think of. Yeah, I think it kind of comes down to like exploitation, exploitation of people, exploitation of resources and the environment, exploitation of animals. Um, if if that's how your business is structured, whether or not you're in agriculture, it's probably not probably not great. Probably that's a why is that bad kind of answer. Right. Agriculture mining, textiles, software industry, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, take your pick. So the the next one we have a kind of what is blank agriculture with like a bunch of different types. So we have what is sustainable agriculture, what is regenerative agriculture, and what is slash and burn agriculture. Um, so there's some specific definitions for all of these terms. Uh, I pulled some really helpful information from North Carolina State Cooperative Extension. Uh, They included a definition of regenerative agriculture uh, that talked about how the main focus of regenerative is around these very specific things. So it's about regenerating topsoil, increasing biodiversity, improving the water cycle, a couple of other things like that that are pretty specific. Whereas sustainable agriculture is kind of more loosely described as like an integrated system with the you know long-term goal of economic stability and enhancing environmental quality um, and utilizing like resources well. Um, so a little bit like more vague, but both of these two things are pretty closely related. They have very similar principles. You know, it, it's about kind of long-term sustainability or or viability of farmland. Um, and at end of the farm business. Yeah, I remember so. when we were talking about the Green New Deal. Yeah, uh, sustain sustainability. I know it, it sounded like at least at that time had more buzzword status. You know, and and from what you've read here, it sounds like you know that's not necessarily the case. But it's it's definitely one of those words that gets thrown around. Whereas regenerative is is more does more well defined. Um, it has like you know, real purpose and intent behind it. Yeah, I I think so. I think, honestly, I mean, they're both pretty buzzwordy. I think regenerative, like, does have a little bit more intention with just, like, the definition of the word not being about, like, sustaining. Like, where we are now, we can't really sustain where we are now. We really need to invest in transforming the, the food system, right, and transforming the way that we um, create food and grow food. And that's kind of baked into that word regenerate as opposed to just sustaining. But I mean, they're both pretty, pretty buzzwordy. I don't know a lot of farmers that use either one who've been farming for a long time because they're just not very specific unless you're talking to like a customer um, or like a big buyer and you're, you're like trying to use shorthand that like the, the common man will kind of understand. But they're not super like technical scientific terms. Got it. And then slash and burn agriculture just sounds bad although looking at this list um it just sounds like the clear cutting of the rainforest mm-hmm. like that i used to hear about when i was a kid yeah i mean that's pretty much what it is you you slash aka cut down 
typically like forests, oftentimes tropical forests, um, and then you burn the materials that you've cut down, which both, you know, makes it a lot cheaper than transporting them um, and also can enrich the soil. Um, but generally it's it's not a super sustainable practice because you're, you know, cutting forests down and those don't, those take a pretty long time to, to set themselves up. So uh, not, a, not a great practice kind of frowned on from a sustainability perspective. And I would imagine that enrichment, enrichment is probably not very long lasting once you yeah. get a large number of crops in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep, correct. Why is farming important to humans? I feel like we've answered that. I mean, we got to eat right. And yeah. I feel yeah. like living in an agricultural-based society is better than having to constantly wander around looking for food. I prefer it. It allows me to, I don't know, like watch TV instead of forage for nuts and grains. So preferable to me personally. Yep. Yeah. Food. That's the main reason why is agriculture <laughs> important. Food. Gotta eat. To be sure, I've never lived in such a way that I have a real basis for comparison. But as far as my imagination is concerned, I don't really want to live any other way. Thank you, farmers, for doing the work you do. <laughs> Number eight, why is farm-raised salmon bad? This is, oh, I'm so glad this question made it on here because <laughs> I have no idea why, but I don't, I've always made assumptions about fish farms and I don't really understand why they're, they're not good. Okay, guys, I'm going to be real. I am not a fish scientist. I don't, this is not my area of expertise. Is that somebody's I, title? Fish scientist? <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in the world there's, I mean, what would that be like a pescologist or something like that? I don't know what you're called when you're a fish scientist. Anyways, this is not my area of expertise. I did do a teensy bit of research before this episode. Um, But the main places that I looked were like Seafood Watch by the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They're a pretty um, reputable source. Uh, I, I did some other research around like NOAA and some other like good government resources Apparently, people think that wild-caught salmon and farmed salmon taste different. I saw, like, some blogs and stuff talking about how, like, farmed salmon can have uh, parasites um, or, like, pollutants in them. Oftentimes, you know, farm-raised salmon will have antibiotics in them, so people don't like those things. I was not able to find any like scientific data, although I'm sure it's out there. I just did not source it um, about like what the actual difference in farm-raised salmon versus wild-caught salmon is uh, from like a nutritional standpoint. However, for the most part, it's better to be purchasing from a reputable and a uh, oftentimes certified if you can find them fish farm than from wild caught from like a sustainability standpoint. Um, So one thing to note, Atlantic salmon is on the endangered species list. um, So you can't get that wild caught so that the Atlantic salmon is only farmed. Um, I think you can definitely get Pacific wild caught salmon. But the main reason why it is beneficial from a sustainability perspective to purchase from fish farms as opposed to wild caught um, is because the system itself is not necessarily depleting as many natural resources as it would take to take those fish out of the natural habitat. And you're able to kind of control how the fish are respawning um, and you're not you're not depleting any natural ecosystems. So 
The Seafood Watch has a lot of very, very detailed information about where to get good, ethical, sustainable seafood that is environmentally conscious. Um, And you can also, if you're going to be buying salmon, um, I would recommend checking with Seafood Watch, but I would also recommend purchasing from indigenous tribes that are producing salmon as it is an indigenous uh, food that was very important to a lot of the tribes on Turtle Island or North America, as we now call it. Um, One place that you can get salmon uh, is the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission, which is really easy to Google. Nice. All right. So next on the list is why is farmer's insurance so expensive? I did not know the answer to this one. Apparently it has something to do with like agent commissions, but it was on the list. I have no idea about anything about insurance. Do you know why farmers need insurance? No, this is not about farmers insurance, like for farmers. This is about the company, capital F, Farmers, capital I, insurance. Thank you, Google, for helping us with our search. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So after that ad roll. Um, next on the <laughs> list is how do farmers adjust the pH of soils? Listen- I was actually very surprised to see this on the list. Sorry, did did I cut you off? Yeah, I was going to say, listener, just in case you don't know, pH is a measure of how acidic or basic soil is. That's all. Y'all probably already know that, but just in case. Yeah, good context. I was really surprised this one came on the list because I thought it was a really technical question. So I don't know why... People are asking this as much as they are. But quick answer, you add lime um, or like a, a calcium molecule. Uh, we, it's not like limes like from a tree, but it's like a thing that we call lime into the soil if you want to raise the pH and you add sulfur if you want to lower the pH. Very cool. And they just like put some powder in and mix it in and it's as aesthetic or basic as they need. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of science about like what your current cation exchange capacity in your soil profile is and how much lime you actually need or how much sulfur you'll need. Oh boy. So if you like, if you have a lot of lime or sulfur you have to buy, then you can like go to a lab and get your soil tested and they will give you like, here's how many pounds of lime to put on your soil. But if you do not need that, then you can buy like some home testing kits for your soil pH and just like buy a small bag of it at the uh at the what are those places called where you buy things store yep garden center yeah the garden center like the place where you get tools and nursery hardware store hardware store thanks dad sure we got there eventually yeah uh nurseries or hardware stores should have that stuff so if you're having issues with your garden it's a little tip from me to you you can get some sulfur or you can get some lime there you go not the kind you put in your margaritas (laughs) i mean you could try it it probably would not be very effective. I mean, it would make it more acidic, but you'd have to use a lot, I assume. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to put a lot of limes. Question 11. How do farmers make money? By selling food? By raising animals and selling animals? I don't know. How else? And by by giving tours of corn mazes. Yeah, I mean, that is a big way. <laughs> Agritourism is not a small industry. If you want to learn more, you can listen to our agritourism episode. Yeah, I mean, selling food and livestock is a major way. Uh, Sometimes also selling fibers. Sometimes farms don't make any money. Maybe that's why they need insurance. Oh, wait, but that was about the company, not the... Okay, never mind. No, but you are actually segueing into my point, um, which is that we do have crop subsidies and farm subsidies that support farmers 
who are not making an income. So if you have like a weather event that like rains on your crop at the wrong time and you can't harvest or if you have like a weird freeze, then you can get crop insurance, which is a way to provide subsidies to farmers from the federal government. Um, For a long time, we had other types of crop insurance. I'm sorry, not crop insurance. We have had other types of crop insurance. But what I'm trying to say is for a long time, we had other types of farm subsidies. Um, But in kind of the like 2000s-ish, there was a transition to move a lot of our farm subsidies to crop insurance. And now that's where the majority of farm subsidies come from, is from crop insurance. I bet it works great. (laughs) I mean, mean, it, it works some. It gives some farmers some money. So in that sense, yeah. Yeah. All right. So next is how do farmers harvest corn? And I guess before they even harvest it, they have to have scarecrows in the field so the crows don't eat it. Yep. Super true. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, it's all, not. Is it really? All farms? No, no. <laughs> they don't really use scarecrows really anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure how farmers control for birds, but I don't think it's scarecrows. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you have any guesses on how corn is harvested? I was also surprised that this was in the top, like, five of the questions. So probably they've got one of those big machine things that they just roll over it and it grabs the ears and sheds the kernels off and just they move on with their day. Yes. So what farmers use is a machine called a combine, and it's called a combine because it combines several jobs Wow. Today (laughs) I learned. (laughs) that's why it's called that basically the combine yeah so it it goes in and it grabs the corn stalks um and it kind of cuts them a little bit and it pulls the cobs off because the cobs are thicker and harder than the corn stalks themselves so they pull the corn cobs off and then they kind of suck the corn cobs into a big barrel with like a big like wheelie thing in there and the wheelie thing um like shakes and blows the corn cobs all around to get the kernels off. And then the kernels fall down into a, like a chamber and the co- the cobs get kind of cut up and like blown out a tube out of the back of the machine back onto the field. And then the corn kernels get shot out of a different big tube, like a big old pipe that feeds into a second truck that has a big bucket on the back that kind of follows the combine so they drive like together the two little machines you have the big bucket on the tractor and then you have the combine and the combine has the pipe and then the corn kernels go into the big bucket if the tube gets too hot does it turn into popcorn prematurely no it won't (laughs) a good question i would love to see that that would be amazing fresh popcorn right here (laughs) Okay, how do farmers water their crops? So, I mean, if you've ever driven down the middle of a, any state, you know, you see these giant sprinkler things on wheels. I don't know what how else to describe it. So that's called a center pivot irrigation. There you and go. Because, <laughs> so there is like one pole that like the big wheelie thing is attached to in the middle. And then it basically spins like a little radius of the circle And it moves around that center pole um, and waters the big circle. I imagine there are other methods as well. Yeah. So that's really common for what we call row crops, which includes like corn. 
as well as like sorghum and stuff like that. Sometimes farmers don't water their crops and that's called dry land farming. Um, And that's pretty common for like wheat, cotton, other types of row crops. And then you have specialty crops. Um, And sometimes you can have sub-irrigation. So like sometimes for almond trees, almonds take a lot of water. So sometimes they'll actually put the water pipes underneath the soil so they don't lose anything to transpiration or not transpiration, evaporation, because that water, there's just so much of it going to the almonds um, that they really don't want to lose any of it to just evaporating off of the top of the soil. So they put the pipes underground. You also have drip irrigation, which a lot of people are familiar with. You also kind of have just like normal overhead irrigation that does not involve a center pivot. So there's like other ways to do overhead irrigation where you don't have to have like a big center pivot. It's a lot like easier um, and like less um, less investment. Yeah. Those are all the ones I can think of. Didn't you once tell me that almonds take like 20 gallons of water per almond per day? I don't know what number I told you, but it was probably something crazy because almonds really, really, really do actually take so much water. All right. So almonds take a lot of water to grow and there's lots of ways to water crops. May not be 20 gallons a day, but it's a lot. Next, how do plants reproduce which is they just you know they make they make the dust and the dust goes in the wind and <laughs> the bees fly around and pick it up and then they get more plants so or or they shoot a sprout out of their side okay yeah so great that you got that vegetative reproduction in there cuz that is real um so yeah so we have sexual reproduction which does include pollen which is the dust you mentioned yeah um so Bees are one method of of transporting pollen. You can also have wind pollination, which you also mentioned. Um, You can also have other methods. There's some of them that just, it's called spontaneous combustion pollination, I think. They set themselves on fire? (laughs) No, they just kind of explode outwards and like shoot the pollen as far as they can very suddenly. And it's usually really, really loud. It's really kind of crazy. Um, but well, now I'm, now I'm wondering, now I'm worried I gave you bad information because now I'm thinking of all the examples of that. And it's actually fruits that do that to disperse seeds, not flowers that do that to disperse pollen. So maybe I gave you bad information. I mean, dispersing Uh, (laughs) seeds is probably important, an important part of reproduction. It is a key part. Yeah, it is a key part. So, you know, Um, so you have pollen, it moves around by bees, by wind, by other stuff. And it goes into the flower. So the pollen is from a flower. And then you have uh, another flower, or sometimes the same flower, that has the female organs. So the pollen is the male organs. And then you have the female organs, which includes like a pistil and like an ovary. And so then the pollen goes down to the ovary and it fertilizes the ovary. And then it grows into a fruit and a seed. And the seed then grows into a new plant with new genetics. You can also have, as you mentioned earlier, asexual propagation, also known as vegetative propagation, which is where you have one plant spreading its own genetics without mixing it with another plant's genetics, just through, you know, shooting off a little baby or something like that. And those are the the ways plants reproduce. Excellent. Well... Thanks, plants, for reproducing so we have more food to eat. 
Which brings us to number 15, how do plants grow? Sun comes out, water goes into the ground, the light rays shoot onto the leaves, and it makes food inside the plant. I don't know. It's called photosynthesis. I think we (laughs) talked about it. I still don't understand it. Yeah, the photon energy activates some stuff in the chlorophyll cells, which enables plants to exchange gases and to uptake water. The water itself is really how plants grow. So if you think of like plant cells, they're kind of like big balloons. So if you see like a tiny little leaf, you can kind of think of it as like a lot of very lightly like inflated balloons, like mostly deflated balloons. And then as the plant grows and more water goes into that leaf, the bigger the leaf gets because the bigger the balloons are getting. They're getting filled up with water. You can't like obviously plants can also like create new cells, which does take energy to do. But for the most part, they're just kind of moving, moving some water around. So what I heard are plants, specifically leaves, are filled with water balloons. Yeah, plants are mostly just water <laughs> balloons, honestly. Plants are amazing life-giving machines is what they are. Amazing life-giving water balloons. But to grow, they also need nitrogen. How do plants obtain nitrogen? They obtain it from yeah. the dirt. <laughs> So this is question 16. Plants have all kinds of nutrients that they need. Nitrogen is one of them. They also need things like carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, those things they get from the air. Um, Nitrogen they can't get from the air. So how plants get nitrogen is they suck it up through their little roots. However, it's sometimes hard for them to actually procure the nitrogen because the most common way that nitrogen appears in our world is as N2. Which, Dad, what state of matter is that? Gas. Yep, it's a gas. It's a gas. A gas is not how plants take up nitrogen, because they get it from the ground, which is as a solid or liquid. So we have little guys in the soil, fungi and bacteria, that's what called fix the nitrogen. So they take that N2 and they turn it into like nitrate or ammonia or something else that's like not a gas um, and can kind of stick into the soil and then plants can scoop it on up. Excellent. So we need the plants. The plants need the bacteria and the fungi. I wonder what they need, but that's not what this podcast is about. So question 17 is, how do plants store excess sugars? A great question. Do plants get fat? Because that's how I get fat. (laughs) Uh, What do you think, Dad? What do you think? I have no... Oh, wait. No, this is fruit. Is this fruit? So so some some sugar does go into fruit. Yes. Okay. Some would argue that the sugar that goes into fruit is not necessarily excess sugar because they need it to make fruit. And that's like a necessary function. Interesting. But if you do have like an... Okay, so think about this. Think about this. It's summer. It's beautiful. There's so much sunshine and water and you're just thriving. And so you're like making a lot of sugar, right? And so you have like extra. And so you got to put it somewhere and you're thinking like, hmm, I'm a plant. I know what's working for me right now. That might not always work for me. Maybe there will be less water and maybe there will be less sunshine sometime in the future. So I'm going to put this somewhere that I can pull it out later. Where do you think they would put it? Uh, In their little roots? In their little roots. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
So when we eat like sweet potatoes, that's like excess sugars that the plants just like stick down in there. Wow. Saving this for later. Wait, is that what a carrot is too? Yeah, it's what a carrot is. My mind is blown. A carrot is a plant getting fat. Yep, absolutely. That's amazing. All right. Next is how do plants respond to stimuli, which is the ones I know of are, well, they grow or they follow the sun around the sky, mm-hmm. or if they're a Venus flytrap, then they munch on a fly when it lands in their mouth. Yeah. So those second two are like what I was thinking about a lot is like um, the more kind of diurnal or less movements of plants. Um, so you mentioned like following the sun. So it's like we know sunflowers to do that. Um, Venus flytraps have that kind of rapid closure movement, as do um, a lot of other plants as well. Do you know how either of those two movements happen? I have no idea because they don't have, you know, muscular skeletal systems or ligaments or anything like that. Maybe they just kind of have a way to lean to the side. What what do we know that plants mostly are? Uh, Cellulose. Yeah, cellulose. What else is in there? Water. Yep. So what plants do is they have like some big fat cells that are filled up with water. And then when they want to move, they quickly take it away. And that cell like kind of collapses and it kind of shrinks down a little bit. What? And they put the water somewhere else. What? So, like, yeah, that's what they do. The first thing that made me think of was a submarine. Uh, which, why? you know, plants aren't going up and down the ocean, mm-hmm. but submarines have little places in them that they intake water when they want to sink Mm -hmm. and they spit it out when they want to float back up it's not exactly the same but it's kind of similar yeah no that that sounds pretty accurate (laughs) that's amazing yep that's how plants move today i learned is but that's not how uh venus flytraps shut their mouths is it or is it yeah i know it is wow just there's, like, actually, there's a fly, we're going to move some water and close up. Honestly, like, I, I wish I knew more about plant movement because it, like, truly is bananas. Um, it's so interesting. And it, like, every time I see it happen, I'm like, how, though? Like, I know, but, like, how? There's a plant we have here in Austin. Um, we have one one species of it. There's a bunch of different species. But it's called Mimosa pudica. And the common name is the touch-me-not and if you go and it's in it's in the legume family and it has these long pinnate leaves and if you run your finger along it then the the leaflets kind of like close up like a little like a little kind of putting your hands together cuz the the leaf the leaflets kind of face opposite each other so they kind of like clap together when you run your fingers along them it's crazy i don't know how they do it pudica oh my god <laughs> <laughs> all right Question 19. Why do plants and animals need nitrogen? This sounds like a follow-up to question 16. Yeah. They obtain it, but what do they use it for? Do you know where nitrogen is used in the human body? In the human body? I have no idea. I mean, it's one of the things that makes up DNA, is it not? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, it does make up DNA. So nitrogen is... What is in proteins? Oh, so proteins are the nitrogen that you eat. Okay. And so when plants and animals 
use nitrogen or, or have nitrogen, that's, that's why. It's because of proteins. So things like, you know, DNA synthesis. Oh, well, okay. And muscles and brains and whatnot. Cool. Yeah, tons of stuff. One time in college, I had to do this really insane project where we made up a fake farm in Peru. Um, and then we had to track the nitrogen in like a, a cycle. So we would see like, okay, the animals have this much nitrogen and the plants have this much nitrogen. And then they harvest the plants and this much nitrogen leaves the farm. And it was a crazy thing. Like no one ever thinks like that. But you wow. know, I learned I learned pretty much all of the nitrogen in a plant is just protein. So we would look like, what is the protein content of quinoa? That's how much nitrogen they get when they harvest the quinoa on this Peruvian farm. I was just thinking about quinoa because we talked about that in a superfoods episode mm -hmm. and it has a lot of protein, but you know, we don't really talk about any other plants in terms of their protein content. Broccoli's got a lot of protein. Does it? Okay. So I guess they all have, you know, some and that some oh, yeah. comes from the nitrogen, which they need. Yep. All, all plants have protein in them. It's just different levels. Wow. Okay. Today I learned. <laughs> Question 20. What do plants and buildings have in common? That's a great question. I thought it was a perfect question to end on. Is it? I Let's mean, what see. Do you think? What do I think? Well, they both react to sunlight. You know, plants grow and buildings get really hot and their air conditioners kick in. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's a trigger for both of them. Yeah, it's a great point. They're both. They both have uh, pipes. Yeah, okay. Uh, they both move in the wind. Ooh, that's a good one. I yeah. hadn't thought about that. They both have tiny people living inside them. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yep. <laughs> you know, I think I think there is one more question that we have. Uh-huh. And it's the question that we get most frequently asked, uh -huh. which is, of course, what is Barry? <laughs> well, we'll never know. We'll never know. It's an unknowable fact. It is. It's ineffable. It's ineffable. ineffable. <laughs> it's ineffable. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for being with us and learning from us and learning with us. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you to our patrons for all of your support. We could not have done this without you. Thank you all so, so much. Yeah, we love y'all. Thanks, y'all. And keep on growing. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or join our Discord and Facebook communities and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts, as well as information about the team and the show, on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing.